Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the only podcast focused on helping early stage marketing teams do better than boring work. My name is Jason Bradwell and every week I sit down with whip smart marketing leaders to talk about what it takes to build a modern day strategy that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Each episode is packed to the rafters with actionable insights and takeaways that you can put into practice today. Let me help you be better than boring. Here we go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Pfizer Ramji, uh, founder of On Purpose. How are you doing, Pfizer? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Jason? I'm doing really well. Um, this is my first B2B Better recording of 2022. Uh, we're recording uh, a couple of days before New Year's Eve. Um, uh, how are you feeling? How's the holiday season been? You know, the holidays have been great. Uh, they've been a little bit out of the ordinary, given what's going on in the world. Um, and I feel lucky enough that it seems like I'm being forced to relax, uh, reflect, take some time off. And, you know, it's been it's been really nice. I've just been kind of doing what I feel like doing every day for the last few days. And uh, even having this recording today, it's just been a good opportunity for me to, you know, just take pause and think about some things with a little bit more um, time and energy than I have you know, leading up to the holidays, it's been been so busy of a year. It has been a very busy year. Um, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording, you are a self-professed workaholic. So I'm really glad to hear that you've managed to take some time to uh, recharge over the holidays. Um, we certainly all need that time uh, to, to reset, particularly before we go in and tackle a brand new year. Um, today, we're here to talk about B2B marketing, uh, as one would expect listening to a podcast called B2B Better, but one uh, looking at it through the lens of tackling companies that are, I think, would be fair to describe as non-technology based or certainly non-software based, because that is your area of expertise, and how businesses can um, tackle moments of change through marketing and branding, which is your, your skill set and what you've built your company around. So tell me a little bit about On Purpose. What do you do and why does the business exist? Sure. So On Purpose is a strategy studio and we're based here in Edmonton, Canada. So we're in Western Canada. Um, and really we help businesses operationalize their brands and ultimately find better ways to connect with their customers. So I, I, you know, I, I sometimes find that when I just use the term marketing, uh, people think about the promotional side of marketing and they think about that being a, a department or an island of its own. But really for me, it starts everywhere from the business strategy to business development, marketing, even operations and customer service. And ultimately we exist to give mid-sized companies an extra set of heads, uh, an extra head and set of hands around the table and try to get them to think about things from their customer's perspective. Um, you know, I find that Businesses that I work with tend to be highly complex, either in terms of the technology they're using to develop their product or the problem they're tackling in um, with their customers, or even in terms of what they're selling, you know, being a physical product that might have a lot of components or a lot of technical expertise. And the people they're selling to do not often have that same level of technical excellence or expertise in that area. And so there's a lot of, a lot of friction between how the, the companies sell themselves and how a customer perceives them. And I help try to bridge that gap in the organization. 
that's that's a really interesting approach. Um, and because you've we've we've done a little bit of um, we've had a conversation before we started recording about the kind of businesses that you work at work with, I should say. And as you as you say, many of them are um, well accomplished in in their in their fields. Um, what is the kind of impetus from from their side typically? To say, you know, hey, we need someone, or we need a company like On Purpose to come in and and help us out and give us a new viewpoint. What's driving that decision for them to say we can't handle this necessarily all ourselves internally? We need to bring in an extra an extra head, as you say. Uh, it's typically two types of scenarios. So the first type of scenario is where the client is really aware of a big change that's happening in their in the market or in their company. So either they feel like there's a lot of competitors and they're having a hard time setting themselves apart, um, or their their lead is getting shortened by some of the other competitors that are coming up in the market, or they have a change in leadership, um, you know, a change in strategy. So either they want to take on a new business line or introduce a new product or go into a new industry. Um, and often it's, it's even startups, like, you know, even companies that have been working on their product for a long time and are now ready to hit the market with it and are not sure how to articulate all the expertise that they've gathered in their, in their company for so long. So that I would say is the more proactive side of things. Um, or, or even if it's like, you know, companies are making three to five year strategies, they've kind of hit a new point in that strategy. So that's, you know, the, my favorite way of starting with the client. Uh, but as you and I know, that's not often how we uncover big problems. Sometimes we uncover big problems through another symptom. And so a symptom will be, hey, you know what, uh, this brochure is not, doesn't look good. Or this, this, you know, we have a trade show and we don't know what we're saying at the trade show. And when I hear those kinds of problems, those are really fun because I know the problem is not the trade show or the brochure. The problem is you don't know your message. And you haven't been able to clearly articulate it, which is why you're having so much problem with the output. And so if we focus, you know, if I give them the confidence that, hey, we can take care of all this, but we're going to need to scratch under the surface and we're going to need to go a little bit backwards into your actual business, um, then we're able to kind of make the, the work a little bit more meaningful for the, for the client because we're able to say, yes, we're giving you a brochure, but it's not one that just necessarily rearranges the words on the page or rearranges the graphics on the page. It's actually connecting with who you want to talk about. And it's actually helping the people in your business that represent your company have a more confident conversation about what it is that you do and how you help customers. So those are the two ends of the spectrum that I generally find myself in. And do you do any work with organizations who are approaching, you know, big business milestones. You mentioned a couple of them there that, you know, things like product launches or changes in leadership, but also things like investment rounds or acquisitions or, or things of, of that nature. Yeah, definitely. I've helped with acquisitions and also, um, you know, I've helped a couple of companies go public um, and that's all about creating a lot of confidence in the market and, and being, you know, tight on your messaging and, and, you know, knowing how to articulate the value that you have in the market. So those have been really interesting as well, because the pressure is a little bit higher, but also everything is happening, you know, everything is public. So there's less time to do things just in private and test and change. And it's more about making sure that everybody um, is aligned, really. What an exciting role, um, as you say. Certainly not limited to marketing and branding, um, but you know, all, all encompassing uh, from from business development, customer success, strategy, and of course, marketing as well. 
if we can focus in on on the marketing and branding piece, uh, you mentioned a couple of them there. Some tactical, you know, how to activate a trade show, how to launch a new brochure. Walk me through a couple more of the kind of common challenges that you're helping your customers overcome uh, uh, on, on on a daily basis, and what's from your point of view holding them back from reaching their their full potential. Often, yeah, I think you know here in Al- in in Edmonton, what I've noticed, and and then now working in other cities, I've noticed very similar things. There are a lot of cities that are full of businesses that are. Um, I would say, you know, medium-sized enterprises and and founder-led. Um, and a lot of these tend to be businesses that have started as being fairly offline businesses and then have started adding more complex technology. So I'll give you an example. You know, I, I have a company that makes um, indoor air filters for your furnace. Now, that doesn't sound like a very exciting product. Um, maybe in COVID, it's become a little bit more exciting because people mm. actually care about their air quality. But there is a lot of technology that goes into those and that can enable, you know, better improving the indoor air quality in a business. The stakes are very high. If you don't properly filter your indoor air, not only can people get sick, but equipment can fail faster. Productivity can lag. um, People's energy levels can change throughout the day. So maybe they're not sick, but they're getting that 2 p.m. lull where they feel like they need an afternoon coffee or an afternoon snack. Well, it could actually just be the air quality inside the building. And so, you know, when I work with companies like that, I find that the biggest challenges they have is that they know everything about why they exist, but they have a really hard time telling that to the customer. And, you know, ultimately in B2B, as you know, we're still marketing to people. It's still people talking to other people and people buy from people they trust and people that they like and people that they feel can empathize with their problems. So in B2B, the biggest thing I find with my clients that's holding them back is often forgetting who they're speaking to and forgetting what that person cares about. So when I look at, you know, a complex sale, you're often talking to the user of that product who's going to be championing um, you upwards in in the organization, but they care about making their job easier. They care about performing better in the short term so that they can get recognized, whether that's financially or just through praise or whatever, job security. And then they also care about doing their job better than other peers in the industry that they work alongside. And their time horizon is short. It's generally, you know, the next, what can I do over the next 12 months or in a budget cycle? But then you've got the people who are making the purchase decisions or the people who have to defend those decisions upward. So the CEO, you know, or or any C-level person, their time horizon is much longer. They're looking, you know, it used to be 10 years out, but I think now it's generally three to five years out. The strategy changes so quickly, but they're thinking about how do they keep customers? How do they grow their customer base? How do they separate themselves from their, their competitors? You know, what's the ROI of this investment versus others? So how is it going to help their bottom line? Um, and so I feel like, you know, that's the biggest challenge is, is we B2B businesses don't do a great job of truly showing their value. They're, they're a bit humble uh, in the industries that I work in. So they talk a lot about their technology. They talk a lot about, you know, how they put things together, but they leave the punchline to the end of the, of the 10 minute explanation of, Hey, we can save you, you know, millions of dollars or, you know, X percent on productivity. We can improve your yield by so much. We can, you know, we can shave down your costs and those small percentages and small numbers in a company that's making, 
you know, 500 million in revenue or, or has, you know, um, is responsible for, for quite a large revenue dollar amount, that can mean a lot. 2% Two, can be millions or billions of dollars. And so I think we just need to start with those punchlines and then work our way backwards to say, this is how we do it. You know, and I think that's the biggest barrier is that a CEO that I work with generally is a technical expert. And when they're technical expert, they're very enamored by the process and, and what went into the product, but they forget that the buyer isn't necessarily enamored by the same. They, they want that information to back up and validate the decision, but that's not what they care about first. How, how is that received by your clients? You know, the fact that there are these kind of almost two groups of stakeholders within their target customers that they need to be talking to that kind of, you know, marketing and branding isn't just a kind of catch-all thing that you do, you know, it's one thing for everyone, which I know probably a lot of marketers listening to this podcast have been across the table from, from an executive who's saying, well, our messaging is we do everything for, for everybody. Let's just go out and just say that, that there are very there are two very clearly defined groups um, that have different priorities as, as individuals and as professionals that we need to be catering for. You know, is that something that your clients just, if you're finding that they, they kind of understand intuitively and they take you up on, or does it require a little bit of education? It definitely requires education, but more than anything, it requires trust. Um, and so one of the ways that, that I try to establish that trust is by knowing who's the expert about the business and, and listening to them, you know, and, and in the case of this air filtration company, it's been around for over 50 years. Um, there are many people in that business, there's very little turnover in that company, because it's such a great company. So a lot of people who have been there, have actually been part of decision making in the company, but also in the industry for a long time. And so for me to respect them and what they bring to the table, and to actually learn about the business and learn about the industry, you know, I know more about indoor air quality and, and uh, filtration system than I could ever have imagined. But I had to learn those things in order to then show the, the stakeholders inside the organization that, that we need to change the way we're speaking. And so I think some people get it and some people don't. And unfortunately, that's sometimes just the way it goes and you end up not working further with certain people. But I think it's our job as marketers to teach them and show them why their expertise is actually being underutilized. And so when I talk to those CEOs and say, look, you know, let's, let's walk through the, the people that you talk to in a sale and let's talk, let's walk through what is, what is the decision-making process for those people? And what do they care about? Now let's look at our marketing materials and say, Hey, do these match up? And not only our marketing materials, but our sales process, you know, the business development process, everything that you are, your people are saying anytime they're customer facing is important because nobody's actually reading the brochure first. They're reading the brochure last generally they're reading something else first or listening to something or they want to know that you're entrenched in their problem. So you're sharing articles about the same thing, or you're, you know, speaking publicly about, about similar things that they care about. And so I think most CEOs do get it. They just often don't know where to start. And what I find is that marketing is now moving up the value chain in the organization. And that's really helping because you do see somebody with a marketing mindset at the leadership table. Now, whether that's the CEO or it's somebody in the in around them in another C level or B level position, and so I think that really helps because you know branding, as you know, it, it's not about just the logo or about the tagline or about what's on the brochure. It's about 
you know, the promise and the experience that we, we are putting out there for our customers. And that starts from the first phone call, you know, at a, at a bank, it's often the bank teller who, who is expressing the brand first. And, you know, when you look at banks, they generally pay those people the least, but they put the biggest amount of pressure on them because that's oftentimes the first interaction. Now we could say maybe it's the app or the website, um, but, but it's still, you know, those, those customer service facing folks, they, they influence that experience a lot and we don't necessarily give them that level of importance. You said something that I, I was going to, I was going to mention in my next question, which was this idea that marketing is moving further up the value chain. And I think certainly for, with my background working in enterprise tech, um, non-SaaS, that is something that, that I'm starting to see as well, you know, working for a business that is 35 years old, has been very successful over its tenure, predominantly with a sales-led um, uh, approach, um, where marketing has been, you know, little more than the odd press release and the same two or three trade shows a year. Um, that, you know, uh, that investment in marketing, not just as the, uh, not as just a checkbox item, but as a actual business driver. Um, is something I've really I've really experienced personally um, over the last twenty four to thirty six months um, in, in in my day to day role, um, and uh, my question was going to be uh, you know in your in your world working predominantly with you know non software organizations manufacturing and construction I think is and and is that is am I right in saying that manufacturing and construction clients I do a lot of manufacturing and then a lot of uh, advanced technology so a lot of AI folks and and machine learning and, and things like that. You're seeing now the scales tip by the sounds of things where there is more of an appetite and enthusiasm for marketing to take a seat at the table and discussions to be had within these businesses on how it can be used, you know, not just as a, a, a tool to make us look good, but as a tool to actually bring in new, new revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, it, you know, it, it's, you know, I always say branding and business strategy um, are, are inextricably linked, right? And if you don't understand the market, then how can you build a, bus- a proper business strategy to address that market? And then if you don't involve marketing in building that strategy, how are we supposed to help you execute on it? And so, you know, I think, and because we are, um, the province that I live in is, is an oil and gas um, province. We've always been in the energy sector and now obviously we're broadening out a bit more, but I always kind of talk about it in oil and gas terms of upstream and downstream. You know, so there's upstream marketing and then there's the downstream upstream. I, I define as being more of what leads us to making the decisions before we go to market. And then downstream is how do we now go to market with what we've got? And I think typically um, we've focused a lot on the downstream. So we focused a lot on the webinars, the brochures, the trade shows, all those things. But, you know, in a world that's constantly changing, even beyond before COVID, you know, COVID has accelerated a lot of the trends that I think we we knew were coming or were already underway. But it's been it's been like this for a while where we need to think about how do we how do we create something, how do we make more out of what we already have that can better help more people? So I'll give you an example again, you know, on um, you know, on another company that I'm working with, they are a um, a digital software project company, you know, and, and they help a lot of organizations use technology to drive business goals. 
And a lot of times that could be anything from, you know, building a digital workplace to creating a mobile or a web-based app. It could be connecting systems better. Um, it could be customer communications, all of those things. And a lot of times they've been talking to somebody in the organization that is, you know, more the functional leader or the, the, the subject matter expert. So if it's somebody who's in, you know, let's say IT, well, that person might be helping them move to like an online, you know, SharePoint or, or creating better, um, you know, connectivity tools for, for how they work together in remote situations. If they're talking to somebody in, let's say it's like a, let's say it's a banking client again, they might be talking to somebody about how customers interface with the bank better. But if you think about all the, if you break down what you have as a company in terms of your assets, and then you try to find other markets where those fit, then you're able to change and reframe the value. So instead of talking about digital workplace as, you know, how do I communicate with my customers or, or with my colleagues and just saying it's going to be chat, email, whatever those things are. And if you actually move up the value chain and talk to the CEO about how do you create a compelling workplace where we're helping you um, be more transparent, be more collaborative, be more nimble. Well, now you're talking to somebody else with where the value prop has a much higher value, but you're using the same bits and pieces that you already had. And so I think that's where B2B companies have a really interesting opportunity. And, and where I work on that upstream side is if you can relate to the business stakeholder and you can help them, you know, um, move from being what I call like a commodity to, or, or a maintenance, you know, maintenance provider to now being a value creator. Well, that's where you just change the game on, on how you market and what you're saying and the level of importance that marketing has in the company. The barriers to entry, I think as well for organizations of this ilk to um to to kind of prevent them from becoming value creators um are far lower than well they're as low as they've they've ever been as you said you know covid has accelerated a lot of trends that were already on the bubble um particularly in kind of non-sas businesses um in regards to content digital um thought leadership employee advocacy all of these things were already happening but covid which wiped out the backbone of what was many enterprise b2b organizations marketing strategy of physical events trade shows has forced these businesses to to um, to look at it, and I don't know if in your in your line of work, part of the motivation for for your clients is seeing younger organizations, the non fifty year old uh, businesses who were born in that digital era and more naturally taking advantage of those tools um, to reach their customers, whether that's lighting a fire under the kind of more established legacy organizations within within these sectors. You know, we need to we need to compete. And the only way we're going to compete is by delivering that value. Is that something that you're seeing? Definitely. And I think it's also that, you know, in B2B, content marketing has always been very important. Um, you know, so when I used to work at a, at a software company, an enterprise software company back in 2006, I think it was, you know, they were, they, they had a marketing machine. It was basically, you know, buy an email list send out a few emails to generate leads for a webinar, get people on that webinar, nurture them through white papers and things like that, and then eventually make a $350,000, $500,000 sale. So they, I think B2B has always known that content and thought leadership is important. What I think is happening now is that 
with the rise of digital and with the rise of, of you know, D2C brands and things like that, everybody owns content. Everybody has content as a strategy because everyone's trying to establish trust and confidence. And so what's happening is those companies are actually getting better at content creation and they're way quicker because they don't have to necessarily think about like a very technical or complex product that maybe needs the input of five or six subject matter experts. They can, they can get to market quicker with their content. So I think that is really, you know, plaguing businesses now to say, well, if we were always content marketers, how do we become better content marketers? Or how do we make marketing more of a team sport? And, you know, I always say that is that I think the danger is when people say, oh, marketing, we're going to do all this work over here, and then we're going to give it to marketing. Marketing will pretty it up and put it out to the market. Well, that's wrong. You know, marketing is a team sport. Marketing needs subject matter experts, especially in B2B and in highly complex businesses. We need subject matter experts on the marketing team just as much as the product teams need marketing on their teams. Because if you're not in sync from the beginning, first of all, it's going to take you way longer to do things. But secondly, you're not using, you're not leveraging, you know, your silver sword. So I'm writing marketing content for something, but I don't understand the technical background. Well, it's just going to be fluffy material that Mm. the end consumer is not actually going to get value out of, right? Particularly if you don't have a product as well that you can kind of lean on and say, here you go, here's a free trial, try it out. And we'll let we'll let our features and our benefits do the talking, you know, in these highly complex uh, environments where you know you don't really know if the product's gonna so you haven't got a hundred percent confidence that the product's gonna serve uh, your exact needs until you've almost got it in your hands and you know you've installed mm-hmm. the air filter, so to speak. You know, there's that element of trust and taking a leap of faith and building uh, a kind of content machine that's only being uh, fueled by marketers who, as you say you know, have that top line knowledge that aren't going those extra layers deeper within the business and bringing in those subject matter experts, it's not going to do a great deal to, to building that confidence against organizations that are willing to make that investment and, and put in that spend. Um, your approach to uh, clients, does it change or have you found a way to kind of productize and standardize how, how you work with, with different clients? Uh, that's a great question because it's something that I wrestle with every year. Um, and it's usually around this time of the year that I'm thinking about it. And so I, I think my biggest asset and my greatest flaw is that I don't standardize enough. Um, and I find it difficult because, you know, every business is different. They have different resources, different budgets, different products, different industries, all those things. But what I've realized this year is that though I don't have a standard way of doing things, I do have a process that I follow. And the most important part of the process is the three to four weeks it takes for me to learn the business. You know, I I think with being an outsider coming into a company, you know, I have to take my own advice on the B2B side. So I often am brought in by a C or a V level executive who I have developed a relationship with. We've built trust, we've built confidence, and they are able to either get that through conversations with me or through references or or the referral that, that I've come to them from. And so they are ready to trust me with the business. But the people that I need to help me succeed and ultimately help them succeed don't really want to work with me. So it's it's often the people who are the technical experts who are have thought that marketing is a waste of time or has never mm-hmm. served them well in the past, or that marketing is always asking for, for things from, or it's other marketing folks who feel like I'm there to compete with them or to undermine them, which I'm generally not. I'm actually there to 
to help support them. And, and, you know, often they know the right answer. They just don't have the resources or they're missing a perspective or a piece of the puzzle. So what I spend the first few weeks of my engagement doing is learning about the business and saying very little, but learning a lot. And I think that's the best thing you can do because what it does is it not only establishes that trust, but it makes me part of the team. And as I said before, marketing is a team sport. So in order for me to be successful, I can't sit alone at my computer doing all this work. I need everybody to help support me and to also execute on a lot of this work. So the what I find is that part of the process is the most important. Then I go into the messaging. Whether or not it's a messaging engagement, there is messaging. So it might not be at the company level. It might be at the product level. It might be at the audience level. doesn't matter. But are we all saying, Do we are we all in agreement with what we're saying and how we're saying it? And that allows the marketing to start right away because guaranteed somebody is having a conversation with somebody way faster than I can put together the trade show booth or the new website or, you know, whatever. So are we giving them the language that they need to connect? And so messaging is always second. And then from, you know, that standard, you know, two to three page document of all the master content, as I call it, and the storylines, because I build a bunch of storylines to say, well, this is what this person cares about, or this is what that person cares about or this is what this industry cares about and the problems that we're solving. Once you've got that master messaging, you can kind of turn that into anything you need. So that's when we can start cranking the marketing machine to say, okay, well, how do we make this into web content? How do we turn this into an event? How do we turn this into packaging? Whatever the case might be. Got it. Um, You talk on your website about finding that transformational idea within within mm-hmm. each of the organizations that you work with which to me um could feel a little bit like trying to catch lightning in a bottle um in some cases do you think that every business out there has a transformational idea yes um every business does have one because if they didn't they wouldn't be successful so i think with established businesses they forget what it is so sometimes it's about going back to basics with new companies, they've been inside their business for so long that they don't have a chance to see it from an outsider's perspective. And so the the transformational idea doesn't always have to be transformational for the customer. It could be transformational for the business itself in maybe how they speak about their business, who they speak to, how they sell, whatever that might be. There, there, There is always one. And chances are, the company is not giving that transformational idea enough um, attention as it should, because often they don't see it as transformational, or maybe they just need to reframe it to make it transformational. And where do you go about finding those transformational ideas when you, when you take on a new engagement? It's generally in that first three to four weeks of conversation, you know, you'll hear somebody say something, you know, over and over again, or you'll, you'll have a conversation and, Somebody, you know, three or four people into the, the discussions will say something that you'd never heard before. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. How come? Let, let's dig into that more. And I find that, you know, I, I say this, uh, I say this, you know, um, with a bit of, of facetiousness, but I like being the dumbest person in the room because it allows you to ask the most questions. And if you are genuinely interested in the answers to those questions, people are willing to tell you things that they didn't even realize were valuable. Right. And so I think that's also the magic of having an outside perspective and coming into a company is it allows me 
the, the, the latitude to ask whatever question I want and people will answer it. And so um, that's how I find those, those hidden gems. Can a business have more than one transformational idea? And then if so, what can one do to find the right balance between those ideas? And I'll, I'll kind of, let me kind of contextualize that question. So, you know, you work for a big enterprise organization, B2B organization that just does a lot of stuff, right? It, it covers the full value chain of whatever sector it is that that business works in. Um, you know, maybe it's separated into business units or it's separated into geographies in terms of how it manages itself. It's separated into product lines. And you could speak to 20 people within that business and each one gives you what could be considered the transformational idea perhaps even with some kind of kind of going head to head with with one another what what can you do in those situations how can you kind of almost simplify that deep complexity in these big organizations i think the way to do it is you either find the connective tissue between those ideas so you know people talk a lot about going back to first principles and you know i had to i had to google that quite a bit to be like what is first principles but really it's just you know breaking things down into the basic components. So if we take any part of that business, you, there has to be connective tissue because the only way that those divisions or those products or whatever came into existence is by rearranging pieces from the core, right? So whether that's the ideas, the technology, whatever that might be. And, and they're, just, they're just building upon that. So you, we kind of have to find, I think our job as marketers is to dig through all that and find the simplest version. And then what we can do is say, okay, that's the transformative idea. That's, that's the special magic, you know, lightning in a bottle is, as you called it. And then how does it apply to the different business units or the different audiences that we're trying to target? And then it's just about saying, you know, taking that and repositioning it. So I'll, I'll give you an example that software company I was telling you about, you know, they worked in, they had uh, 20 global offices. And they worked in about five to seven different industries. And it was all process industries. So oil and gas, refining and petrochemical, mining, um, et cetera. And so what they did is they took, they, they essentially had machine learning software, which at that time we didn't call machine learning. And they could take real-time data from several hundreds of remote pieces of equipment, put them together and give the operator some information that will help them optimize what they're doing. Okay, so whether that's you know trying to reduce downtime, predict maintenance, um, manage alarms that are happening on the production line or at the plant level, whatever those might be, and that would trigger some sort of workflow. So it, when I talk to everybody, you can imagine there's a lot of technical expertise from an engineering perspective, from you know the industry perspective, all those things. At the end of the day, that's what they were doing. They were finding ways to connect hundreds of pieces of equipment and collect data from them and in real time, give somebody a piece of valuable information that helps them make a decision that could save or generate money, right? Or that's pretty much it. So we're just figuring that out and then helping to contextualize that in the specific industry or with the specific piece of equipment or in the specific um, geography. So, you know, talking about temperature, you know, um, soil conditions, whatever that might be. So I think there's always, there's always a way to find that connective tissue. And I think as marketers, our job, you know, people say it a lot is like, ask, ask and listen. And 
I forget that because I love to talk. So I forget <laughs> sometimes that that's my, my job, but it's amazing what you learn just by listening and, and capturing those, those notes and those thoughts. I feel like we could keep recording for another 45 minutes, uh, but <laughs> uh, I'm conscious of time and I'm conscious of the fact that uh, we're recording this between between Christmas and the New Year's and you've been very kind in, in jumping on with me uh, during the holiday season. I just want to ask you a couple more questions and I promise I'll keep them brief. If you had to give one piece of advice for someone like you, but working in-house at some of these businesses that you've that you've kind of described, who has been tasked with helping their organization rethink their go-to-market approach, what would that piece of advice be? Where should they start? It starts with relationships. So build alliances and relationships inside your organization because you as a marketer bring a lot of experience um, and you can collect information from the market. You can gather tons of feedback, but you need allies inside the organization and you need to be able to get buy-in because we're often not doing anything by ourselves. And often we want to be outside of our team as well. So build relationships in the organization, you know, ask how you can help others with your, with the marketing work and in turn, earn their, earn their trust and earn their respect. Just build those relationships. You used a really nice term earlier, connective tissue, which I think can also be applied to the marketing function within within these organizations. They touch marketing touches so many different elements of a business and its success. Um, certainly, uh, in, in my career, I kind of found myself as almost that, you know, the um, the the kind of cog in the wheel that's got all the spokes of different departments connecting into it and helping bring everyone onto the same page. So I think that's a really nice way of thinking about it. What do you think is going to be the biggest change in terms of how B2B companies market themselves in the next five years? You know, I, I, I don't know. I think that is a big question, but I think the thing, the thing that's interesting is that it's become easier and easier to experiment so I think B2B companies need to act like, like D2C companies in a way. You know, there's been a lot of people that have taken the B2B playbook and applied it to different, um, different company styles. And I think B2B needs to do the same thing. So how can we look at, you know, subscription businesses? How can we look at consumer packaged goods? How can we look at these other styles of businesses and see what's working for them and adopt that um, for ourselves? Because like I said earlier, at the end of the day, we're people selling to other people and those people will buy from people they like and they trust. So, you know, bringing it down to that, sim simplifying it to that, you just need to be, you need to look at disparate industries, disparate businesses to find new ideas and then be nimble enough to actually execute on those. Absolutely. And it's been really, uh, it's been really, uh, great to see more and more organizations adopt that mindset, particularly over the last 24 months during COVID, um, almost as a matter of necessity to start with, but then increasingly as, you know, a significant strategic investment. Um, mm -hmm. Pfizer, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, to, to close this off, tell me, who should I interview next on B2B Better? Okay. Can I, can I cheat and give you two potential people? Yes, please. Okay, so the first one is from your side of the world, uh, Louisa Harrison Walker. Uh, she is the founder of Benchmark, Benchmark Recruitment uh, based in Sheffield. And she's also the interim executive director of the Sheffield Chamber of Commerce and Industry. She's a remarkable woman and she has a great business. And I think, um, you know, she's positioned herself as the ethical recruiter 
And she's really entrenched in the community. And I think she would be an, an exciting person to speak with. And the other is from my side of the world, uh, Molly Milosevic. She is the senior marketing manager of community at Jobber, which is a job tracking and customer management software for home service businesses. So plumbers, electricians, arborists, landscapers, all that thing, kind of thing. And she has built a really amazing channel inside a fast growing company that is fully based on community and brand marketing. And I think she will have some really interesting stories to share with you as well. I'm definitely going to need you to make some introductions to both of those two. They sound like fantastic guests. Uh, where can people learn more about you and on purpose? Uh, you can check us out online at purposeiseverything.com or you can follow me on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter at Faiza Ramji. Faiza Ramji, thank you so much for coming on to B2B Better and Happy New Year. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. It's a fun conversation. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the interview, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, leave a rating, a comment, a review, or just share it on social media. It'll really make my day. Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week.